At Maximus, we are focused on the future of federal government. We deliver mission-driven innovation at speed and scale, turning insights into impact. We are a top systems integrator and leading provider of transformative technology services, digitally enabled customer experiences, and clinical health services. We help agencies navigate obstacles and anticipate the unexpected by becoming more agile, empowered, effective, and ready for what lies ahead. We are Maximus, moving people forward. Learn more at Maximus.com federal. You're listening to the Government Huddle Podcast, brought to you by GMarkU. Each episode features a unique discussion led by public sector executive and global government thought leader, Brian Chittister. Experts in all things government from around the world join the show to share their stories and provide insight into the rapidly changing landscape that is the public sector. From digital transformation to workforce issues and even thoughts on policy, nothing is off limits. Come on, let's huddle up. Agencies are really excited about adopting this new technology, and some are more advanced than others, most certainly. Um, but I think what I saw from the government side is it's really hard to take a new piece of technology, embed it in your existing process, get everyone who interacts with that existing process on board, on the same page, and able to be making decisions based on whatever this new piece of technology is, right? So again, it was really that that human adoption piece of it that I think I was missing as a technologist in the, in the private sector that I really am embracing here in government. And that's what I do here in my role at the Department of Labor. Welcome back to the Government Huddle Podcast, guys. I'm your host, Brian Chittister. Emerging technologies are transforming governments, businesses, and citizens into a truly digital society. Even before the pandemic, federal agencies were experimenting and small-scale testing emerging technologies with the goal of streamlining, simplifying, or speeding up what they already do. Complications of this period of time only made the urgency for these ideas stronger. To do this, several agencies have followed a pattern of restructuring their IT shops, embracing AI and automation, or developing programs with less silos. One of those to restructure was the Labor Department, which consolidated all IT shops under one office of the Chief Information Officer. Joining me today is the Chief of Emerging Technologies within that office, Krista Kennard, and she is the first person to hold such a role. Her primary job is to work as a customer service organization, providing technology solutions and leadership which advance Department of Labor's mission. In this episode, we're going to discuss her path into the role, the priorities and challenges she's facing currently, and her opinion on what it's going to take for governments to be successful in deploying emerging technologies into their enterprises. Krista, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, most leaders in government that I speak to on this show, one of the one of the patterns I see, and you probably see this too, is they have a real passion for public service. But when I was looking at your background, one of the first things that really struck me was not only do you have this passion for public service, but really, truly helping people. In fact, at, at saving lives. Um, I saw you wanted to be a doctor for the World Health Organization at first, but you kept passing out in surgery. Is that right? That's true. So my undergraduate degree is actually in molecular biology. Uh, my whole life, I was going to be a doctor, and I had this dream of traveling the world, uh, saving you know children in, in, in other countries. 
Um, and as I got further in my, or closer to my medical training, uh, I kept, you know, I was shadowing doctors and I, I passed out about three different times in surgery and decided, well, maybe medicine isn't for me. Um, but it, it actually ended up being a blessing because I had this very narrow idea of what it meant to, you know, be of service and to help make the world a better place. Um, and when medicine and, and um, being a doctor, I, I removed that from the table, it just opened up this world of, you know, there are so many people doing good things in this world. Um, in the nonprofit space, in the government space, there are really so many different ways to be of service and to help us all collectively move forward as, as a community and as a society. Which you did, I, I saw, so right after that, you, you talked about kind of, and I like how you put it, I mean, sometimes we're so narrowly focused on this is what I'm gonna do that when that gets moved, it does really open the aperture up and that really opened up an opportunity for you to join the Peace Corps and travel to Ecuador for a couple years. Tell me about that experience. It was, it was a life-changing experience. Um, and believe it or not, living in a rural community in Andean Ecuador is where I developed my interest in data science. Um, so, so I was paired with a local uh, public health hospital. Um, it was, it was sponsored by the Ecuadorian government and uh, I lived in it was kind of the county hub, high high in the Andes Mountains. Um, it was the only hospital in the area, and it served about 35 different indigenous communities in the area. Um, many of those communities uh, were incredibly rural and had to travel long distances to come um, to get access to healthcare. Uh, so one of the things that I would do is I would partner with a lot of these nurses and doctors who worked at this hospital to actually go into these communities. And we were collecting all kinds of really interesting data, but literally on a piece of paper on a clipboard, um, right? And so we would go to a single community and we would treat, for example, all of the mothers and their children under the age of five, right? And we would collect information about, you know, what the kids are eating, their growth trajectories, um, you know, the mothers, how often they're having children, what are they eating while they're pregnant and when they have small children, all of these, these really interesting, um, what I would now call metrics that are determinants of health, um, but at the time was really just trying to understand, you know, how can we make sure that these families are, are getting the health care that they need to, to live their lives and, and be happy and raise, um, raise their children in the way that they want to. Um, so then we would come back to the hospital with all this paper collected data. Um, and, and sometimes it would get entered into the single hospital computer if there was electricity um, and if we had the time to do it. Um, and by, by going to all of these different communities and collecting all this data, I could start to see, right, like if we, if we could actually do something with this data in a more comprehensive way, right, we would be able to identify which communities are struggling with very specific um, ailments or, um, or, or, or elements that might be negatively impacting their health? How is that different than other communities? Where are some communities thriving and others are not, right? And it would give us this more high level view of how can we more targeted, in, in a more targeted way, deliver these health services that are so fundamental and so, so necessary for these communities. Um, it, it didn't end up happening, right? Uh, just infrastructure alone didn't allow for that to happen, but it really opened my eyes to this world of the way that we deliver on government services should be based in data. That's that's really interesting. I'm sure that wasn't necessarily the 
the the light bulb you were going to have when you went down there but it's certainly to, to hear that it influenced that kind of side of of now your career is is very very interesting is, was there anything else that you took away from that experience that is still influencing you today besides the importance of obviously infrastructure and and being more data driven is there anything else that still influences you today absolutely i think that the biggest thing i valued about my time in ecuador was the connections with people there right and i think so the communities that i worked with they i mean they're their lives are completely different than anything I had ever lived, right? They live very rural. They live um, oftentimes without electricity, running water. Um, they speak not even Spanish, right? Many of them speak Quechua. Um, some of them don't read and write, but they still live these really beautiful and, and thriving lives. And they still value the same things I do, right? They still want the best for their children. They want their children to grow up happy and healthy and live full lives. Um, they value their their local holidays, right? They value their community. And those are things that I continue to value today. And what, what I really saw there is it doesn't matter how different we are. Everything we do is about people and connecting with people. So even as a technologist now, I always relate what I'm doing to people. How are we interacting with each other? How is whatever we're doing here making our interactions with each other better and and helping our community grow? I think that's great. I think the human element of the the whole digital transformation side of things often gets lost. So I think having that as a foundation is is certainly it's important, but it's good that you had that kind of base um, that you learned from. And obviously, you I'm sure I'm sure you kind of knew that, but it's always good to get those really. Um, really intense reminders. And then, so you had this, this kind of introduction or, or even love of now of data science or importance of data science. And you ended up at, uh, at IBM um, before you entered government. And even before the role you're in now, you were the director for the AI Center of Excellence at GSA. I'm curious to know, based on your experience in that role, how are you seeing federal agencies leveraging AI right now, where do you see those opportunities for expansion around use cases really moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there's different perspectives, right? So when I was a data scientist for IBM, I was doing very technical work. I was literally writing code every single day. Um, and they, I worked on kind of these short-term proof of concept or pilot type projects where we were really showing a lot of government agencies, right? I, I worked on pilots or proof of concepts with defense and intelligence agencies, with health healthcare agencies, with um, DOL, honestly, with uh, the VA, right? With with a lot of these different agencies um, to just kind of show them the world of what is possible with technology. But what I found was I was building these really, really cool AI-enabled capabilities, right? And we'd go to to our government clients and our government partners and say, here's this cool technology, do something with it. And, and, and the government was just like, well, I don't, what do I do with this? Right. How do I, I embed it in my existing workflow to actually realize all the benefits that, that we can, um, that are, that are promised by a lot of these technologies. Um, so that's where I, I joined government. And then, so at, at GSA, uh, it was a really unique perspective because GSA's mission is to serve the federal government, right? And so I, I got to partner again with a lot of different federal agencies, and you can you can see how 
agencies are really excited about adopting this new technology. And some are more advanced than others, most certainly. Um, but I think what I saw from the government side is it's really hard to take a new piece of technology, embed it in your existing process, get everyone who interacts with that existing process on board, on the same page, and able to be making decisions based on whatever this new piece of technology is, right? So again, it was really that that human adoption piece of it that I think I was missing as a technologist in the, in the private sector that I really am embracing here in government. And that's what I do here in my role at the Department of Labor. I, I haven't written a line of code in years at this point, but I do work with our, um, our private partners, right, who do build this cool technology to figure out, all right, well, here's, here's what we do at the department to deliver on our mission to serve the communities um, that, that benefit from the various programs that we have here at the department. Um, but how can we bring technology to the table and how can we get the folks who are on, on delivering on that mission every day, day in, day out, to adopt this new technology so that we can continue to deliver on that mission as technology advances, as society advances to be more technologically savvy. Have you found patterns in, in ways that you found success in being able to kind of cross that bridge, right? You, you mentioned, especially when you were at IBM, you had this really great technology that you knew inherently was going to help people, help help government, right? And then you had the the other side. It's not that they didn't understand the technology; they just needed help understanding how do we envelop this into our into our enterprise. And now, obviously, you're at DOL. You did this at GSA, but have do you see patterns where you did find success, and it would be it was because of this or this connection that you were able to make? Absolutely. I think the key pattern that I have identified is when you are able to one explain the technology in a way that is consumable by a non-technologically -tech savvy audience, right? So not using very specific language, right? But translating it into a much more palatable, a much more friendly um, type of language, it's a lot more easily adopted. Um, and then the other thing is bringing people along for the journey, right? Nobody likes change just forced on them, right? But when you start to engage with the people, again, with the people who are doing this work every day and saying, you know, what are, what are your challenges? What are your pain points? You help me build you a tool that will help make your life better. There's so much more success, right? So having that, that, I think human interaction on the front end and then bringing people along as you're building this technology and translating it into something that is understandable by a non-technical audience, um, that's, that's the key to success. Right. It doesn't matter how cool your technology is if people aren't bought in, if people don't feel like they take ownership of it and people don't feel like they understand it. Yeah, I've, I've seen you say it's important, obviously, to engage employees at the beginning of the process. I wonder and I've had this conversation with several folks on on this podcast about how maybe the pandemic might have shifted people away from that a little bit, because whether it's for speed of execution, right, we just have to get it out and we don't even think about engaging people. And the other aspect of it is adoption. Things were just adopted because they had to through draconian means. And there wasn't really a thought necessarily from the beginning around how are we going to drive adoption? Is that something that you, uh, that you still think about pretty inherently when you're, when you're building out these programs around emerging technology? It is. Uh, Cause I think one of the things that's missing in our virtual world that we didn't have 
uh, or that we did have before, right, is just kind of that hallway conversation, right? Uh, and and I think one of the key elements of adoption is, you know, let's say we have, I'll give you an example of one of our, our first bots that we built. It was for procurement professionals, right? I mean, and these folks are highly trained in how to do government acquisitions, write contracts, all of that. I mean, they're not technologists. They don't, they don't care about a bot per se, as in as much as they care about a tool that's going to help them do their job better, right? But they don't care about the technology itself. Um, so when we started on this journey, we were in person, right? And and so you could see people just like leaning out uh, their cubicle to say, hey, hey, this this bot can do this cool thing for me, or hey, I don't like how this bot's working for me, right? That, that kind of organic conversation that just sort of happens in an office setting, I think it's lost in, in our, our virtual world. Um, and so you don't have the the early adopters inspiring the folks who are maybe a little bit more hesitant to adopt it because they can't just say, hey, look what I'm doing. I'm getting my work done faster because I don't see them. Um, so one of the ways that we've tried to mitigate that is being really a, a lot more engaging with our users, right? So whereas before I may have only offered a single training and gotten everyone together in a room and said, here's, here's our bot, go use it and letting it organically grow, um, I've been more iteratively creating space to say, all right, how, how's it working for you? Give us some feedback. Um, and I've also tried to leverage some of our existing capabilities to, to almost create virtual spaces where people can chat, right? So using our messaging capability to create groups where, uh, user groups where we can say, all right, all of you use the bot. Anyone have questions? You know, you can ping me at any time. And I, I think it, it works it works well. It's still not as great as, you know, that that natural uh, walking by someone's cubicle. But I think we've been able to adapt um, and adopt to a virtual world um, and help spread spread the word a little bit better that way. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And I'm, it, it kind of catalyzed another one for me. How do you collect all those disparate, whether it's opinions or thoughts or comments that people might have around a program, uh, not only of what's working well, what's not working well, but maybe things you didn't even think about. How how are you going about collecting those things and really assimilating them and, and driving change with it? So one of the things that I really embrace, and I think especially in a digital world needs to be embraced more is um, user experience and customer experience methodologies, right? So human-centered design, I mean, of course, I, I love it, right? The first word in it is human-centered. Um, but I think that it's really grown as a practice and it, it really has some structured methodologies for how you can engage with end users and how you can be collecting structured feedback. And that can exist in the form of um, user surveys, user interviews, um, but also using like digital whiteboarding tools. So sometimes what I'll do is, in the real world, I would have called everyone together into a meeting and said, all right, we've got a whiteboard. Let's start drawing some things out. I think with some of the advances in these human-centered design tools, I can do that virtually, right? So I'll call people together, usually in smaller groups. I think it's really hard to get feedback from a large group um, virtually, but I'll, we'll break it in, break folks into smaller groups and create a virtual whiteboarding session and they can interact. They can um write sticky notes. They can contribute to this collective document that we're all creating, again, to create that sense of, of ownership. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking is when you feel like you've contributed to the process, 
when it rolls out, you feel heard and understood. And, and I think that certainly can drive a higher level of engagement. And it kind of leads me to one of my next thoughts I've seen over the past few years in government. They've really been getting away from that kind of activity for activity's sake type of mindset and have become really, really focused on value-based outcomes. I think that's certainly a mindset that it seems like you're you're driving within uh, the Department of Labor. Um, but how do you think it's that type of mindset is really contributing to the envelopment of emerging technology usage? I think it's fundamental, right? Uh, as cool as this technology is, right? Our mission in government is very different than say the mission of a technology company, right? I think the the billionaire tech giants of the world, they have the freedom to say, I think this is really cool. I'm just going to spend some money and build it, right? That's not, that's not how government operates, right? Our mission is to serve the American people and to do so in a very responsible way with their tax dollars. Um, and so I think when we're looking at these new and innovative technologies, it's not just about saying, oh, we want the latest and greatest technology. That's not what it's about at all. What I care about is this technology offers promises of faster processing time, greater insight into data, creating efficiencies, uh, right? Those are really valuable outcomes that we're trying to achieve here, right? If we can use technology to more quickly and efficiently serve the communities that we serve, that's a huge win. And if something that uses AI or blockchain or VR, or XR, whatever the, the new technology is, great. Um, but it, it's really about what is the value we're providing at the end of the day. And so one of the things that I focus on that I think um, certainly the private sector, I think, has adopted this because nobody wants to be, be wasting money. But I think in government, we are especially sensitive to how are we we spending tax dollars, um, creating safe and structured environments for exploration. Um, so that that's really how I, I lean into how do we find the value, right? Um, rather than saying, all right, let's do this multi-million dollar procurement to, to build this, this behemoth of a piece of technology like we did in the old days. Let's just find a specific part of the problem we're trying to solve. Let's bring a couple different technologies that we think might be valuable. Let's test it out pretty quickly and see what kind of outcomes we can get out of this, right? And and with that, it's really important to establish your, what are your metrics for success at the onset, right? And then you can quickly see, is this new technology, is this, uh, this, um, this new innovation really going to get us there or not? Is it going to scale? And is it going to be worth the price tag uh, that it's going to to cost to get us there? Yeah. And I, I think two of the things that I generally think about before these type of programs start, one of them we already discussed, right? Engage employees at the very beginning of the process. The other is, I think of that crawl, walk, run mentality, you need to gain some momentum. So I think what you're what you're saying around kind of starting with small pieces of the problem get some small wins, gain momentum, get the program kind of rolling downhill. And it'll not only drive adoption, but people will see the success happening and they'll want to be part of it and they'll want to add to it. And they'll also want you to help them with some of their problems too. Yeah, absolutely. So we, you just threw out a couple of, a couple of emerging technologies out there. You, you mentioned VR, you mentioned blockchain. Um, I know, and I should have started the whole conversation off first of all, by saying congratulations 
um, because you recently received the Emerging Leaders Medal um, at the Samuel J. Hyman Service to America Awards, and you were recognized for your work on an RPA program that you rolled out within Department of Labor for automating re repetitive tasks. Are there are there other emerging technologies beyond just RPA that you're seeing out there that you think can be really impactful within government? There's a lot. Um, I mean, how much time do you have? I think, and and this is, I think the the key. You can't boil the ocean, right? And I think that absolutely we want to have a space where if. Um, Let's looking at the Department of Labor, right? Let's say one of our inspection agencies comes forward and says, you know, we let's look at MSHA, you know, our Mine Safety Health Administration, right? Like they go into mines and actually do physical in inspections, right? If they come to us and say, you know, how can we maybe leverage some kind of XR capability or artificial intelligence, right? We want to create the space where we might be able to explore that. Um, but the the other idea is, all right, well, how do we create adoption and mass across the organization? Because we know specifically that capabilities like automation, like artificial intelligence, they're not just going to be good for one or two projects, right? We know that having a, technolo a technology infrastructure to support these and grow them and scale them across the organization, that's where you're really going to be able to... Um, to see uh, an impact and really realize the benefits that these these technologies promise. Um, so the way that we've kind of done that and kind of balanced that is we we have our innovation incubator that I stood up and that's kind of our, our blanket space. It's really a methodology for how we explore any new technology that might come to the table. And then we also have spe specific focus areas that we want to lean into. So automation was our first um, technology that we wanted to lean into. And we actually built out some infrastructure to be able to uh, to not just build a bot here or there, but really say, you know, this is a technology that we'd like to lean into. Agencies, let's start thinking about, you know, sub-agencies of DOL, let's start thinking about where you might want to be automating. And we actually held um, a botathon last year to call for ideas, not only to educate uh, the agency around what the technology can do, but also to call for the kind of the creativity and and the people who are doing the work to say, hey, I actually have this process that I do every single day and it takes a lot of time. Automation would really be able to help me out here. I wouldn't have necessarily thought of this or said, hey, let's solve this problem right this second, just because budget cycles and program year planning, right? Like doesn't necessarily allow for that. Right. So I think being that disruptor and saying, all right, well, we know we know about some some of these technologies. Let's just lean into them and, and make them available to the organization. And that can help spur some thinking that uh, around challenge areas that may not have been highlighted in, in kind of the traditional way that we think about program improvement. And, and that's what we've done with artificial intelligence uh, as well. Other areas that I think we can be looking into. I, I definitely think there's some applicability for things like XR in our space. Another really big thing that I'd like to be leaning into is our underlying infrastructure and using these emerging technologies really for not only modernizing that user experience or that kind of direct interface that people would see that you have with government through kind of our web portals, but also kind of like, how are we managing data? There are the, the way that we manage data infrastructure has changed significantly over the last 10, 20 years. We should definitely be using 
kind of the latest and greatest to be able to do that. So also being able to kind of introspectively look at how are we um, as an enterprise setting up our technology and how can we be kind of replacing legacy system with innovation. So you're obviously exploring a lot of a lot of different technologies, a lot of different use cases. How do you kind of get your head above some of the silos out there and not only see what's maybe happening in other agencies, other departments, but share the great work that you guys are doing through this incubation, through this botathon that you mentioned? Because I feel like the best way to drive some of the, not only adoption of these technologies, but the value of these technologies across all of government is to share what you've learned, share successes, share share IP. So how are how are you going about doing that? And how is government going about doing that? So I think there's a couple of different mechanisms for how to share. And I, I, I just have to voice that I think the sharing part is critical, right? If, if we're all doing this in our own silos and not picking our heads up and saying, hey, what are you doing over there? Um, we're, you get a lot of inefficiencies and you got to right? Like it, it can cause some, some challenges. So a couple of things that I do, one, this is me wearing my GSA hat. There's a lot of communities of practice that are hosted through digital, digital.gov. And I have myself and my staff are active members of a lot of those communities because that those communities are places where people come together to share ideas, share, um, share some of the successes that we've had, some of the challenges that we've had. Um, another area that we do, I know DOL tries to publish a lot in our blogs, right? And, and have uh, a digital presence saying, hey, we've built this new bot or we've built this new piece of technology. Uh, we'd love to hear about it. And I, and I think at this point, there's enough people working in the space that anytime I see uh, DOL publish an RPA article on our blog, people reach out to me and they say, hey, how did you do this? Right. Which I think is really great sharing. And then the other thing is when we're building these, reaching out to agencies that we know have already done this, right? So I'll give you an example. When we were first standing up our RPA capability, uh, what, two and a half years ago at this point, I asked the question, who else has done this? And I've asked that of our, our leaders, right? Our technical leadership, our CIO, our CTO to reach out to kind of our CTO and CIO councils to see where there are other agencies who are thinking about this, looking into it. Um, and I actually had one-on-one -on -one conversations. I brought my RPA team and had one-on-one -on -one conversations with the USDA RPA team, with the NASA RPA team, with some of the DOD RPA teams, just to have that or that organic conversation around. Well, how did you how did you deal with this or how did you deal with that, right? And so that and and I sorry, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the GSA RPA team. They've been incredibly helpful, and we're able to share some of their artifacts that we still implement today. Um, and so I think just taking the time to reach out and say, hey, who else has done this? And setting up that follow-up conversation and asking asking the specific questions, uh, I think has really helped us grow and, and be more connected across the RPA community. And, and I do the same with our AI community. One, one I, I don't know if I want to call it a technology. It's, it's kind of a it's kind of a construct out there right now. And I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion. Um, it's definitely a pivot away from RPA, but um, the metaverse is talked about a lot and you've, you've mentioned experience um, a few times, it just, just organically, obviously customer experience, employee experience is top of mind within uh, government right now, especially from leadership. Um, but there's this big thing called the metaverse that people are looking at as maybe the future of what experiences look like. 
Is that something that you even started to explore or you think has some type of applicability within government? What are your thoughts with that? That's such an interesting question. So I, I mean, I think about it, right? I'm a technologist. I'd be, I, I don't live under a rock. Like it's in front of me. And I, I think about it in terms of my general life, but I'm, I wonder um, because I, I th- again, I think about my life before the pandemic and I would go to conferences. I would go speak at events. I was just kind of around people. And even now people will invite me to go to conferences in person. And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't really want to. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I think they're, I'm, I'm intrigued by the metaverse and how that might be able to bring us together as a government. I think one of the things that we talk about is uh, not necessarily having a space to collaborate and share uh, without actually like holding events to put people in the same building. But if we could have a more organic space uh, where we could do that, I'm, I'm all in. I, I would absolutely be willing to explore it. Yeah, I think I, I, for a while I would see my eight-year-old out with his his Oculus and and playing playing VR games and in my head thinking, man, I'm I, I have no interest in putting this thing on. It's not something I'm just craving. And then all of a sudden, seeing these conversations, realizing, you know what, this might be something I need to learn a little bit more about because it could be how my experiences are driven in the future. And I figure at some point, I think government will because technology moves so fast, right? Um, and government gets beyond just okay. How do we, um, how do we make sure this technology doesn't get out of hand? Into okay, how can we really leverage this technology to drive our mission forward? And I'm sure at some point there will be that um, that that galvanizing thought around. Okay, this is the perfect place where the metaverse could exist from a government experiential perspective. Um, so I'm sure that at some point we'll probably crop up on a more formalized roadmap for you. I would imagine. Yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm willing to explore. I don't know if I necessarily have uh, a specific use case or um, a specific area I would apply it to, but if, if someone's got ideas, I'll put the headset on. <laughs> so uh, before I give you a chance to leave any final thoughts, I, I do want to get your, your opinion. Obviously government, government is challenged in a lot of different ways and just the technology sector is challenged in a lot of different ways. I'm curious when you're looking kind of forward, what do you see today and the next five years, 10 years being the biggest challenge that maybe government or just technology, the technology industry as a whole might face in, in kind of successful deployment of, of digital transformation technologies? So that's a big question. What do I see as the challenges over the next 10 years? I think, honestly, if we're just being real, one of the biggest challenges is our legacy systems, right? As interesting as the work is that I do, I build these very cool, let's say I build an AI microservice to be uh, deployed so that a bunch of, um, you know, a bunch of DOL employees can use it. It's probably going to have to interface with data that sits on a mainframe at some point, right? Or um, in a data center. So I think there's, one of the big challenges to true adoption of all of these innovative technologies and not just you know exploration or playing around is how do we bring our 
enterprise infrastructure up to the level to be able to support this en masse. Um, I think that's a really non-attractive way and not glamorous uh, challenge, but I think that that's going to be the big thing, right? How do we get from one or two cool solutions to this is just how government is? Um, and there's a huge modernization effort that has to happen um, to be able to um, be, to be able to get us there. Um, no, it, that makes complete sense. I mean, we started off the conversation talking about how important the foundational aspects are to things. And I can, I, I think it's the perfect way to kind of end what we're talking about is saying, yes, the foundation is, is absolutely key. Cause if you build all these really cool emerging technology type of programs, it's really only as good as kind of what it's supporting infrastructure looks like. So I think that's, that's probably the, probably the best answer. Um, before we wrap up, any, any final thoughts you want to leave with our listeners? I do. So I think that it's so exciting to talk about all of these new technologies, but I think that one thing we really need to make sure is at the forefront of our conversations around these technologies is responsibility, right? And we've already seen, I think, some very public examples of where we've let the technology get ahead of our values and priorities as humans. Um, and I do not want to see that for government. And it's one of the things that I always make sure we're discussing. Um, I'm a responsible AI official for the department. Um, yes, this technology is cool. Yes, it can do a lot. Uh, but we always need to make sure that we are assessing it and ensuring that it is leading to good and expected outcomes and it is not introducing or enforcing bias, for example, or exacerbating inequity that exists in our environment. Um, so even though we want to lean in and go full force ahead with a lot of these technologies, right? I'm, I'm there with you. I love this technology. I think it's so exciting. We cannot lose sight and we always must bring to the table our rational side saying, how are we doing this responsibly? Doing those assessments of what is missing from our data? How can we ensure that we are implementing these technologies, not only in a way to increase efficiencies and, and reach a broader audience, but also in a way that equitably serves um, and responsibly serves the communities that that we are so dedicated to. I'm so glad you closed with that. I mean, I just, just finished saying how fast technology moves. And I think we've seen so many different technologies kind of outpace the kind of philosophical conversations that at some point where you look at how ethically should we be using this for, for the greater good. And I think it's one of the things that I think we all kind of lament sometimes that government moves a little bit slower, especially in the rollout of technology, but you can't say they don't, they don't think about it from all different aspects. And I think responsibility, sustainability, ethical usage is all, all an important aspect of the, <laughs> the technology we see today, the technologies we don't even know are coming. Um, so I, I'm, I think that's a great way to end. Krista, thank you so much for being here today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been the Government Huddle Podcast. You can access more episodes of the show by heading over to govexec.com backslash podcast, wherever you access yours. And feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Chittister AB. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye for now.